0: Welcome to Film Fight Club. I'm Glenn Falconside from Falcon Screen, and we are joined by freelance writer and critic, Farhat Nehru. Hello, people! And Sydney filmmaker, as always, Chris Evans. (gasps) You must be excited for your new Avengers film out later in a month. (laughs) Wow. Yeah,
1: hopefully I die in this one.
0: (laughs) Get it over with. (laughs) It's been, yeah, they've been mooting that since the first Avengers film. Wow. So it's the first Captain America film. Planning my death?
2: <laughs> yeah, well, look, I've always been keen to kill you off, Chris. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Off, um, off camera, of course. Yeah. Moving, <laughs>
0: moving <laughs> passive <compassionate laughs> aggression to outright hatred at Film Fight Club here. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and we have probably our
0: most packed show we've ever done.
1: Yeah, but uh, hopefully we keep it nice and consistent for
2: you. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: he said ominously. For <laughs> yeah. a packed show, we have surely begun at a very unpacked note. Because we are talking about
0: Pacific Room 2, the big film in cinemas this week, or the big
1: film that's already in cinemas, but the big film that is coming out tomorrow.:
0: Yes, uh, well, one of the big films that are coming out tomorrow is Blockers, which we are talking about later in the program, and or, Death of Stars. Yeah,
1: but there's one that costs maybe like you know maybe five times as much as both of those put together.
2: Oh, you oh. mean the scandal that the Australian cricket team is going through at the moment? Oh dear! it Took
0: us a minute to mention. <laughs> this is this is just the worst. Look, we we're, were we not were, we were
1: planning to hold that segue until later in the evening, but Virat just couldn't resist.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah we're, 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 we're just we're just kind of furious about this, like everyone else is. But we will channel our frustration and rage into film Fight Club. Talk about Ready Player One, which is in cinemas tomorrow. Directed by Steven Spielberg, it is based on the 2013 novel, which is set in Columbus, Ohio, in 2045, and revolves around a virtual reality world called the Oasis, created by a man called Halliday, played by Mark Rylands Now, this person here since passed on, but he has said there are three tasks that anyone in the Oasis, which basically comprises everyone in the world must complete to inherit control of the Oasis trying to do this is Ty Sheridan playing Wade Watts and up against him and many many others is Ben Mendelssohn, who's basically a corporate hacks dude I think yeah. I think it was basically the character description he was given
1: yeah and T.J. Miller as T.J. Miller in Deadpool or any other action movie T.J. Miller's appeared in yeah. doing T.J. Miller like comedy lines
0: yeah, a cartoon version of Erlich Bachman basically yeah
2: What's the point of his existence now? Like, what does he do? TJ Miller. Um, yeah.
1: Well, apparently he gets cut out of Ready Player One. Apparently, it's weird because watching the movie, I was thinking, like, when's he, this guy, he plays this virtual avatar in the Oasis. And I was thinking, when are we going to see the actual guy? Like, I felt like I was being set up for a reveal of him, but that never happened in the movie. And then later afterwards, I found out that he was actually cut from the film.
0: It happens in the book, but they just left him out of the movie. Right, okay. Yeah, so, Ready Player One, it is the big film in cinemas this week. I'm Ready Player One. Chris, you're Ready Player Two. What do we think?
1: Well, this is a hard one. Um, Ready Player One epitomizes a concept which I have in the past said doesn't really exist or that I'm not able to do. Um, but Spielberg proved me wrong. And that is turn your brain off at the door blockbuster filmmaking. Spielberg still has it as a director, just in terms of the pure mechanics of putting together an action-adventure film spectacle of this this um, stature. Um, just the, the beats of the story are so satisfying, and the way it jumps between the virtual world and the real world is just an absolute thrill to watch. Um, you know, the movie nails the sense of fun that I think, you know, you look at something like a Marvel Studios film where they try so hard to capture this f- sense of fun. And then Spielberg, who, you know, laid the template for this kind of blockbuster filmmaking, comes back in and just shows everyone how it's done. And this seems like a movie he made basically in his sleep. So all of that's great. But once you start actually thinking about what the movie's about, what it's saying and what it's representing there's yeah it collapses completely both in terms of um, you know the the way the world works just a, you know little um, for example the virtual reality world is sometimes you know played stationary as a video you know like the, the person in the real world is standing still um, while the, per- the character in the game you know is exploring far off worlds as it works in video games usually but other times, uh, if it'll make a, a better shot, Spielberg has people running around in the real world uh, mimicking exactly the actions of their character in the virtual world. Um, even when you know you'll see like people running around in an ur- a packed urban environment as soldiers, um, and in the virtual world they're running around in a big open empty field. The obvious thing that would happen here is like people running into walls, right? But. Yeah, it's pretty consistent with how this movie works, which is like, don't think about anything and just go with it.
0: Which is, I think, how I feel about a few of the films reviewing this week. Look, I have to give this film credit in one respect. There is only one person who really created this, and this is Steven Spielberg, because he is going back and visiting these elements, particularly... 80s and 70s popular culture, which aren't doing in part because he more than anyone else, arguably even Kubrick, he paved this road, made it, yeah, and this he made
1: this kind of like this movie pays tribute to people like Kubrick, but it's not a Kubrickian movie. It's all about like it's like the Goonies, Back to the Future, it's like ET. We're going on an adventure. Get the the gang together. Boy meets girl. Good Conquers Evil.
0: And that's great when you are... And there are parts where it's actually quite fun to count all the pop culture references. You can see some obscure, some obvious. But my biggest problem with this is that this film does not create anything new. There has been a big push for 80s nostalgia recently, Stranger Things, among other things. But something like Stranger Things took the tones and ideas of the 80s and created something very distinct and new. This is entirely derivative. That's not necessarily a bad thing. I enjoyed it for what it was, but it doesn't give food for thought. It doesn't hang in the mind long after. As I think Spielberg really wants it to.
1: Yeah, I think this movie raises strange questions about the role of pop culture, because this is a, a movie about the world of 2049 or something? 2045. 2045, right, where people are... Everyone's just running around quoting 80s things like, wow, that's cool. You've got the bike from Akira. And yeah, that's the Buckaroo Banzai jacket. Oh, you got the DeLorean. Great. Sweet, dude. Um, And all of this gives people credibility. And it would, like, we're supposed to just go with this. Like, uh, you know, you, you know the stuff that makes you good and worthy.
0: I think it would be... Like interesting.
1: the villain is contrasted because he doesn't know stuff about obscure pop culture from 60 years ago.
0: And that makes him a bad
1: guy. And that makes him a bad guy. I
0: think it's interesting that it does provide some good commentary. There's all these noologists. They're called noologists, people who are literally supposed to know everything about every mm. John Hughes film. But it doesn't really explore but, this. Yeah. It's more interested in looking and creating this world, which is beautiful to see, but can only take you so far. Yeah,
1: but look, these people are so obsessively, nerdishly um, dedicated to this one pe- peculiar... Like when Ernest Cline, who wrote the book, grew up, basically. The pop culture from when he was growing up is what everyone in the future is obsessed with. I understand that in the book, this is more sort of contextualized as everybody uh, needs to study Halliday's taste, you know, in order to try and win his competitions. But it goes back to... It's like if Halliday's the god of this world what kind of God is he? Because he's asking of his subjects, like, you must become obsessed with the things that I like, and then they'll make you worthy. It's like, if you start to think about what this is conceptually about, it just completely collapses. And the obsession with 80s pop culture in a movie set 60 years in the future is also kind of weird. Like, guys, good things happened after that. Shouldn't, like, a a dystopian uh, society like the one we're seeing in this movie be producing rich, like, new culture of its own beyond just, like...
0: A tribute to the past, but it's much more than that. We're talking about Halliday's challenges. There are three tasks people have to accomplish. Yep. It's not so much about 80s genre in and of itself or intuitive aspects of it, it's much more about Halliday himself, which is yeah. really strange. strange and he's an character, and I understand it's a little bit different in the book.
1: Yeah, as I understand it in the book, it was you know, in, in one sense the way the book does it would explain why these characters are just talking about 80s stuff, like it's really cool and giving each other props, right? Because it's just kind of weird, like how it's taken for granted. Like you, you watching the movie think 80s stuff is cool. They think it's cool. 80s is great. Um, but yeah, it's not contextualized, like everyone's studied up on Halliday's work um, in this movie so much. and Because his tests are, actu- are instead about... Finding out about his his life and his like struggle,
0: and what of the tips his romantic
1: life, which yeah. is also kind of weird, like making a, a creating a virtual world and then trying to make the people in that world relive your life. It, it like that's a really disturbing subtext that the movie doesn't go into at all. If you start to consider anything this movie is doing, it just gets really weird. But if you just go along for the ride. It's a great rollercoaster. And, and I
0: think, if you just go along for the ride, the very first test is a, essentially is, is an action sequence, which is a compendium of every crazy action sequence from Mario. Oh, to Adam, so, and it makes so sense, well staged. But it's beautiful. The so action beautiful, is amazing. Yeah. The second test um, is very derivative of a very popular film, and I think they actually got the original prints from this film, at least it looks like it. Yeah, it definitely is it original footage. it doesn't make a great deal of sense.
1: No, it doesn't make a great deal of sense, because it's tying together. Like, if you To pass this test, you need to know about this movie, and you also need to know about my life. Like, what kind of guy is building these tests? Uh, look, Halliday, like, the you know, seems like a, a weird dude in ways that should be explored more than the film is going to do. Credit to Mark Rylance, though. He makes it hilarious as, like, a cross between... Garth from Wayne's World and Willy Wonka playing this guy. He's so funny.
0: Yeah, and they show him over decades. I just want to give credit to Spielberg. It's a big uh, thing for now for directors to try and CGI younger versions of actors, but even these much older actors who they show 30 in years wigs. back, they just put them in wigs. And, and that, it looks so crazy. good. It looks so good. It's fine. It works.
1: Yeah, it does give the impression of movies like Wayne's World where that's, you know, put that, people in okay. a wig. Yeah. yeah um, but yeah, the, the biggest issue with this movie just in terms of pure plot mechanics. Like, if we stop thinking about, you know, this greater subtextual stuff and the the strange world of questions it opens about how ridiculously obsessed we should get about a tiny little niche of pop culture and whether that's healthy, um, the movie doesn't really establish why the Oasis matters to people or how much it matters. And then it builds up this really self-serious good and evil uh, narrative about, like, let's take weather the resistance, let's take down the oppressors, let's fight for a better world, but it doesn't really explain why this matters. It doesn't explain why this is more than a game.
0: And it doesn't explain why the oppressors are bad. I mean, sh- uh, yes, yeah. Ben Mendelson is seen as this, you know, big corporate guy, and is that it's bad, taken for he granted. Like, like, yeah, he's we, we, bad
1: because he doesn't know about fast times at Ridgemont High. Yeah,
0: he wears a suit and he speaks like a like across the cross. He's old never watched. So he has to be the bad guy. Yeah, he's
1: never watched the last Starfighter. Yeah, he's the principal in so he, Breakfast Club, basically. Right, exactly.
0: Yeah. yeah. So that is Ready Player One. Um, it is in cinemas tomorrow. Ready Nostalgia Go. The next film we are talking about is Pacific Rim Uprising. It is directed by Stephen S. DeKnight, who was the producer of... (gasps) Well, he was the producer of Daredevil and For His Sins Angel.
1: And Spartacus on Stars. apparently. Apparently,
0: That's right. Uh,
2: Has
1: anyone watched that show ever?
2: No. Wait, uh... Spartacus? No. no. Yes, it was, it was the original maybe? film Something, something. I, was, I remember something spartacus Oh, that was Gladiator. Yeah, no. Yeah. no. Okay, so no. no. This wasn't as good.
0: <laughs> yeah, and um, it was ho- it took over the reins from Guillermo de Toro, who did the first film. Um, in a sense, this is another effort for grown men with $150 million to smash things together. Like Ready um, Player One. Like Ready Player One. It stars John Boyega, who is the son of Idris Elba from the first film. If you remember any details from that film, good for you. Uh, it was not one of my favorite films of 2013, um, and essentially, yeah, um, he is brought in because reasons to fight giant kaiju and other things. Um, Scott Eastwood is his commander and Kaylee Spaney, newcomer, is, has a role opposite Boyega. Uh, Varad, what did we think of Pacific Rim Uprising?
2: Okay, Glenn. First things first, I don't know what you're smoking, but I enjoyed the first film a lot. That was
0: terrible. This is such <laughs> an improvement on that. It was so self-serious. There were two good scenes. One where Idris Elba says, I'm going to cancel the apocalypse. The other of the young girl running through the city. Otherwise, why? why? It just was Nobody's draining. all
2: about the emotion. You know, the first film had the heart. This was missing everything. This was only about... Giant robots fighting giant monsters. That's why we I didn't didn't I see this. I know, but like that's the premise. But d- you need a reason for that to exist. And the first film offered me that. Just- I bought Idris Elba as this sort of person who could lead me into battle and i was like yes and they had a great soundtrack the second film did not use the epic soundtrack of the first and that was the best thing about the movie what
1: you're describing is the pacific Rim. i really would have loved to watch because i found this movie just like dramatically completely boring um i, I didn't feel the kind of sense of grandeur like i you, you know when you're going to have big robots smashing you know giant aliens the you, you know all the time that you you spend away from that is going to be compared to that, and the humans need to match up to that level of, of you know, the scale of drama. But in Pacific Rim, everyone felt pretty cardboard, right? In this new movie, everyone's pretty cardboard too, but at least <laughs> they, there's an interesting plot to go with it.
2: I agree. And I, I was bashing up Gullamante del Toro with Shape of Water not too long ago about for his moralistic fable storytelling, but for Pacific Rim... It worked because exactly the kind of fable that needed that simplistic narrative to then sort of hook you in so that you can then sit back and enjoy the monster fighting because you need some kind of a setup to get the monsters. And I know, Glenn, you like the Sydney Harbour Bridge being destroyed because that's (laughs) clearly, you know... A very pacifying moment, because who likes Sydney anymore? You know, Sydney's dead. And I I really did physically enjoy Sydney actually dying on screen again.
0: Yeah, look, we have to sit through a lot of times of New York and Chicago and San Francisco and London getting destroyed. It's nice sitting in a Sydney cinema to see the audience recognize, oh, that's our home, and see our landmarks and our treasured, you know, transport hubs get
2: completely wrecked but i did also enjoy how this movie was trying to say i don't think it succeeded about something about ai and technology and how sort of giving up control in that sense can be problematic and automation and it was trying to make a serious point but i don't think you know it really got anywhere because eventually it is all about let's fight the monsters and like forget about any kind of social commentary well,
1: this movie um i like that it's structurally unambitious (laughs) it's all about plot it's all about weird twists weird images um this movie takes takes the anime inspiration of the original like further to actually feel like i'm watching like the the you know the pilots instead of being young adults are now teenagers to put it in line with real like giant mecha anime it's got a real like gundam team you know um kind of vibe going for it Uh, anyone who's watched Neon Genesis Evangelion will catch a lot of similar ideas in this and how, um, the battles are fought and the ways that the villains and the, the, uh, robots start to kind of fuse together. Um... I like that this movie is basically a cartoon episode um but that it, it's disposable like it's not aiming for
0: much and it achieves that. Look, the fights were beautiful to watch, the one in Sydney, the one in the final scene of the of the show, it was great. Yeah. And I'm seeing it on, the, on Vmax. It was I fine. did
1: find the fights a hell of a lot more interesting than the first movie. The first movie was like watching it really tight close-up robots just punching things slowly. This was like dynamic action scenes with good use of the environment. Um, the power ups were built into the, you know, the beats yeah. of the action, like very, in anime. Power Rangers, anime. anime yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Very like going to the Power Rangers and like Japanese pop culture inspiration.
0: And the ending was quite clever, the way they deployed one of the. Uh, Jaegers. But, Varad, I've actually got to challenge you on one of those points. Now, yes. you said that this... The, the characters needed, are terrible, by the way. The characters are terrible. Oh, the, I um, except yeah. I will give it one credit in that the Kaylee Spaney role, that is usually reserved for this terrible, disposable, romantic oh, yeah, subplot. Yeah. And it was actually Kudos great. She was good. That.
2: Yeah. yeah, and yeah, and, and I think there was some point in there that I was thinking they were going towards that or veering towards that. But thankfully, this is not with Kelly's character, thankfully, but some other sort of dimension with Scott would and... Another character which we're not going to mention because we don't want to spoil the movie. If anything in this movie can be spoiled, yeah, I don't know if it can, but, but, but we <laughs> but, won't. But basically, you know, but I'm glad they didn't go that route and we just stuck with the monster bashing. Very much so. But you said the first film
0: had a background to it, how it was all about setting something up, whereas the whole plot of this film was actually to explain what was actually going on in the first film. It made the first film better, it made
2: the first film make sense. It's strange because it feels
1: nothing like the first movie.
2: Yes, I agree. I think the first movie being so much set at night gave it that kind of physical texture. Yeah, whereas I, agree. I think this was set during the day, which kind of made me feel less scary and just, you know, the, the scale kind of felt dumb. That, it's really tacky. There's something super like tacky, like garish. And maybe it the is first really... movie was also tacky, but I just didn't feel it because it was just like rain pelted. I think down there was emotional. More of a, yeah. weight I don't think
1: it particularly worked, but I see where it's coming from, that there was definitely more of like a grand visual vision yes. and a sense of drama behind Pacific Rim, at least in the conceptualization. I don't think it was yeah. well pulled like, off. Whereas this movie is just going for like something basically wafer thin. Yeah. Um, you know, thing,
2: things being smashed yeah. around and kaijus and
0: robots, you're gonna get kaijus yeah. and robots. But
2: there was like a ten minute sequence in the first movie I remember where they were literally transporting a Jaeger from one th- you know, one place to another and I would Emotionally invested in the transportation sequence, and I did not find that in this movie. Yeah, so even though this movie had more fighting, the first movie did not have that much fighting, to be honest. And I, and I still enjoyed the it fight. More. The problem
1: is the fighting in the first one, I think, was boring. Like conceptually, yeah. it was great, but it it wasn't actually yeah. interesting to watch. This movie, I think, I'll say, is more interesting to watch. If this was paired up with the sense of um, weight and the staging that the first movie had, then I yeah. think we'd have something great going on. But um, yeah.
0: I think the last thing we should touch on this film is Charlie Day. He's actually quite fun in this. I think he's enjoying his yeah. role in blockbusters. and yeah, something nice better experience.
2: than horrible bosses. The whole thing has a kind
1: of... Just speaking of Charlie Day, reminded me of Always Sunny. The whole thing has this kind of TV feel, doesn't it? It's interesting moving from the really obsessed with movies director Del Toro to Stephen S. tonight from the TV background, basically turning in a really long TV episode, Pacific Rim.
0: That really long TV episode, Pacific Rim, to Uprising, excuse me, Uprising, is in cinemas... Now, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And the uh, next we are talking something that is also in cinemas tomorrow. Um, and that is Blockers, starring John Cena and Leslie Mann. Virat, what did we think of Blockers?
2: Okay. Blockers is interesting. It's, uh, directed by Kay Cannon, who is the screenwriter for Pitch Perfect. And, uh, he's trying to deliver a Pitch Perfect performance as writer, as <laughs> uh, director <laughs> in this one. And, Honestly, okay, you know, I went in with very low expectations and I was genuinely surprised by that it had some funny moments. I won't say it's a funny film. I would say. High <laughs> oh. <My> like, recommendation from <laughs> right here. That's I right. had funny moments, but
0: just not a funny film.
2: <laughs> you know, it's, it's not a funny film as a it's whole. Not game lot. Night, right? Oh, no, no, no. Game Night, I'm still saying Game Night needs to be nominated for an Oscar next year. Honestly. Best, yeah,
0: best screenplay. We are yeah. rooting for an yeah. early contender.
1: Honestly, Game Night was better than most of the Best Picture nominees.
2: I, I love how in the middle of the vlogers have gone straight okay, back okay, to Game Night. No, no, okay, B- back to Blockers, back to Blockers. Okay, so Blockers is basically trying to be the sex-positive teen comedy about, you know, they follow three parents, one played by John Cena, one by Leslie Mann, and the third by Ike Barinholtz, uh three neurotic parents trying and once they discover their children have formed some kind of pack. sex sex facts, you know, about doing the dirty uh, at prom, after the prom night. <laughs> so
0: basically the guys who are in American Pie are old enough to be parents and to screw over their kids. That's what's happening. Yeah,
2: yeah. You know, basically just trying to stop them from, you know, uh, getting laid, was, essentially. Yes. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting how each parent is sort of set out. John Cena actually is quite funny. I did not expect him to be actually funny, you know. And it's funny because his character, the way it's etched out, him being a very physically intimidating person, is essentially playing a very emasculated, you know, very sensitive man. So that kind of physical comedy was drilled to perfection. Leslie Mann actually gets the most screen time and I think she is the star of this movie and she lives up to it. There's a beautiful physical comedy sequence where she has to escape from a situation where she's caught up in and she has to actually use a lot of physical comedy to get around a lot of places. So that use of place, which you often don't see in big blockbuster comedy movies, is utilized pretty well. And from the little ones, the the, the kids, I'm going to shout out, give a shout-out to Geraldine Wishwanathan, who is a stand-up performer and also part of the comedy collective awarding NIP. She's clearly the best out of the older kids out there, and I would really dearly hope that she gets... More screen time than playing just the best friend can roles. So that
0: thank you for right, That is yeah. blockers. It is. An, I'm looking forward to seeing it now. I'm looking forward to just. I don't know. I've heard a lot of different things about it, and um, yeah, I, I I'm curious to see a film that is. There's funny, also but a cameo by, by
2: Gina Joshon. Oh, fantastic! Of, I'm not sure who that is. Of bound fame. Oh! Yeah. Oh! Yes. Yes. Okay. That. Now I'm interested. But she's wasted. But but oh. still.
0: Very good. So the next film we are talking about, we actually have spoken about it before. Premiered at the Australian premiere was the British Film Festival last year. It is the Death of Stalin. It is in cinemas tomorrow. I think it was one of the few films we can all just really love and can strongly recommend, or at least uh, fairly recommend. I don't, Christmas. Look,
1: yeah, I, I found it most like it's the political side of the movie. I guess is is kind of interesting to watch, but as a comedy, I found it to be um, strangely atonal like um it, it's about watching unpleasant people be unpleasant to each other and there's this constant threat of death in the background which i think you know it, it kind of jibes it that's a hard thing to pull off that kind of gall- to pull off that kind of gallows humor and i don't think this film entirely succeeds but i, I still have found it well performed and if you especially if you're into political uh comedy or you know, the politics of the period, I would definitely recommend it.
2: I mean, uh, just to give a background to our listeners, this is directed by Amanda Venucci, who's uh, been the showrunner for Vape, yep. and also in the thick of it. And if you did enjoy Peter Cabaldi's turn as Malcolm Tucker in some of the most wonderful expletives that have ever been uttered in the entirety of television. Get ready for
1: a whole movie length oh, of it from wow. Russian guys. Pretty yeah, much. Yeah, with,
0: with, with unashamed British and American accents. Yeah. It's Jason Isaacs and all these others, Steve Buscemi, Jeffrey Tambor, Simon Russell Beale, Olga Kurilenko doing their natural accents. And I have to give it film credit where, I mean, he based it all on real source material, but some of the events depicted were actually nuttier and crazier in real life and were too insane for the comedy of what would think a mainstream audience would be happy with. So it's interesting to watch it, but then also interesting to read up on the history of this particular film, which is in cinemas tomorrow. Tomorrow, yeah. Um, We just want to touch quickly on the French Film Festival, which has been screening for the past month at Palace Cinemas. And
1: BPM has been on like every single day as clearly the the main attraction. So, yeah. Yeah, BPM. (laughs) It's,
2: It's like, look, I, I want to like BPM, but it's sort of like that annoying uncle that sort of is at a party unannounced and then you have to put up with him because he's just there. So BPM is just that kind of a movie where I really, really, really wanted to like it Look, because it's trying really hard. I think it actually is
1: excellent for the, when it starts off. This movie is about people in ACT UP in Paris, which is a movement for um, gay rights and AIDS justice. You know, fighting to bring about visibility for the AIDS crisis and fair treatment, um, fair reportage, prevention, etc. And I think the uh, way that the group dynamic of politics is presented is really interesting. But that, um, and uh, the movie has a great, um, energy and uh, it feels lived in because the director and co-screenwriter have both actually lived in this world that they're writing about. But then in the second half of the movie, it suddenly becomes about watching a person die protractedly, and that goes against everything that was good about the film in the first half.
2: Yeah, it just makes me feel and like Call Me By Your Name a lot more than I did, because all these narratives about LGBTI communities... I just not hit. It wasn't mark.
1: looking for a pat on the back for depicting physical misery for forty-five minutes.
0: Thankfully, not. And that was BPM. And the other film I caught the other night was Ismail's Ghost, starring Marion Cotillard, and Matthew Amaric. Um He plays a filmmaker. It's very eight and a half, and his wife returns after twenty years. Um, it starts very much about how she is back in her life, and then turns into a surreal film within a film meta uh, the performance was excellent but unfortunately there was a very fractured storyline and it felt like the filmmaker was trying to make multiple films um, this made sense to me in two ways one there was a person a couple about five minutes towards the end of the film who walked in sat down with a drink realised they were a the wrong film got up and left and it felt like that was actually a part of the film I was watching alternately it actually makes sense if it is a pseudo sly sequel to Inception given it to starred Marion Cotillard so that's screened at the French Film Festival I believe it is out on iTunes and a number of other platforms um um, also we want to touch base on a few festivals that are happening. The Shorn and Sweet Film Festival, which is a short film festival, is screening at Newtown Oh, sorry. It's a Tom Mann Theatre in Surrey Hills on Saturday night at seven thirty. Angela Blake and Ellie Crew, who came as part of SF3S around this festival, and it is an amazing initiative. Something we also want to touch on is Young at Heart, which is screening at Palace Cinemas from April second. Um, it's quite an amazing lineup this year. They've got Last Flag Flying, the Richard Linklater film with Lawrence Fishburne. They've got Chappaquiddick which was about Teddy Kennedy, and uh, it's play- he's played by Jason Clarke. Um, on Chesil Beach, the new Cher Cher Ronan film. We learn to, to pronounce her name. And Earl B J starring Woody House and Richard Jenkins and Jennifer Lace and Jason Lee. It's a pretty good lineup.
1: Yeah, um, clearly the industry isn't healthy when all these movies that would have just been direct to the screens are being shown at a, fil- a little film fest, right?
2: Yeah, What's going great on? For film what, what is
1: going on? Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. It's Netflix.
1: I guess so. And chill. But yeah, please go and see these movies at the Young Heart Film Festival because you might not get a chance to see them otherwise.
0: Yeah, um, it's it's crazy what's happening in the festival scene right now. Speaking of which, for film's sake, launched their program today. Um, They have a Fright Night section where the Australian premiere of a South by Southwest film MFA starring Natasha Eastwood is on. They're also doing a retrospective of Big. It's the 30th anniversary. And it's crazy that Big, the reason they're showing it, um, it's the Penny Marshall film, is that it was the first film directed by a woman to gross over $100 million, which is just incredible to me. And they're actually bringing out the giant piano.
1: Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's cool.
0: Yeah, there's that wonderful scene where Tom Hanks. And the other yeah, those. exactly. I I like to I like I probably I'd, I'd do that.
1: I I enjoyed Big. Um, I was saying before when you told me this book before the show that fact about Big, I was like, what happened to people like Penny Marshall? What you know we what happened to all the film directors who were, um, you know, working for the big studios as like a professional storyteller and just Cranking out pretty good work. It seems like there's no directors like that at the moment. Is there a studio system beyond blockbusters? Anyway, that's oh, th- those are my sobering, depressing rant thoughts to close out the episode.
0: Yeah, we will surely a topic to revisit in the coming week. In the following week, though, we will be talking about the Spanish Film Festival getting into festival mode, uh, which is also playing in PAL cinemas, and they have yeah, Bardem film. They have a few quite big ones. Um, we're seeing, we'll are seeing. be coming straight from the launch of that, so we'll be looking forward to speaking about that. I'll finally learn how to pronounce
2: tapas correctly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, thank, this has been Glenn Falkenstein, Varat Nehru and Chris Evans from Film Fight Club. Uh, we'll be back next week on 2 SCL. Let us know what you want us to fight about. Enjoy movies and have a wonderful night. Good Take night. it easy,
1: guys.